Alternative Play. Welcome to Alternative Play, a podcast that explores both the worlds of kink and nerd culture. No matter what your flavor of fun is, we talk about it all. The podcast where nerd and geek culture meets leather and latex. So tighten your restraints, break out your comics, roll a d20 and get ready for some fun. Welcome to Alternative Play. I'm JC, your host. For those of you who are new to the show, Alternative Play is a podcast where we introduce you to gamers and game designers who live alternative lifestyles or create game content within the kink communities. Alternative Play will cover topics that are adult in nature, so listener discretion is advised. I'm pleased to have on the show with us tonight a member of the kink and game community, Pat O'Sullivan. So, Pat is a writer, director, and podcaster from Chicago. His films have played in festivals all over the country, and his most recent short, Don't Pull Out, is featured on Troma's Grindsploitation 3. And Pat is also a role player and game master who will be hosting a homebrew Tales of Gore campaign at a con early next year. So, Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks for the introduction. Oh, no problem. So, before we jump in, let's hear a little bit about you. Oh, gee, where to start? Um, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I am doing the uh, the Tales of Gore game uh, next year at GaryCon. That's kind of what helped me connect with this show right off the bat. But everything else you said is very true. Uh, I do a podcast, Radio 1 Chicago, based out of Chicago, uh, where we interview people from the area that are uh, involved with like the cultural happenings, um, stuff that's going on in the community, non-kink related. And then the films, yeah. So I've been I've been doing that for about ten years now. And uh, I mean, even going back earlier, like in high school and stuff. But I'd say I've seen the most amount of success within the past ten years. And uh, done a whole slew of short films, kind of just pursuing that elusive feature film that may or may not happen sometime. So what inspired you? I'm just curious. I mean, uh, so I got to, I watched the trailer for Don't Pull Out, which okay. I loved. Thank you. <laughs> uh, that that had a very grindhouse feeling to it from all angles, but I'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. So I, I'm curious to see what inspired you to do films and who inspired you in the industry. Uh, just from looking at your films, I can see a couple of influences possibly. Well, right. Uh, I grew up going to the movies constantly uh my parents took me to the movies took me to the plays so uh i was very involved with you know theater and film it was a part of my upbringing uh mainstream stuff of course and then mm-hmm. growing up in the 90s i'm coming of age and you know graduated high school in 99 so those formative years 95 to 99 there was a big independent film boom and you had people like quentin tarantino kevin smith that kind of brought uh were, were figureheads in their own right, but also kind of shone a light backwards as do some of the, the other people, the Jim Jarmusch's and uh, Truffaut and, you know, all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of came around at the right age to where uh, there was a lot of there was a lot of focus on independent film. I, I always say Kevin Smith was kind of the person that made me realize that you could make a movie, seeing Clerks uh, in 94 
seeing that you could films weren't just Raiders of the Lost Ark and Die Hard, you know, that you could do a movie in one location with two characters. And if you could write it well enough, it would be entertaining and eventually seen by millions of people. So that definitely uh, opened a door for me. But then also Robert Rodriguez and the whole El Mariachi thing and Rebel Without a Crew kind of showed how you could make a movie on a very low budget for $7,000 in that whole story. They were influential earlier on. Once I started actually trying to write and and produce my own stuff, I realized that the stuff that I kind of grew up on watching USA Up All Night and trauma movies and and things like Mm -hmm. that, the kind of stuff that you would just grab from the video store, that's that low budget stuff was more in what I could pull off. I'm not saying that I always thought I was better than or that I didn't like it, but it was always more attainable to me. And it was an aesthetic that I could work with, something that wasn't necessarily perfect where you could if things looked cheesy or they looked kind of low budget or, you know, that worked in its benefit. And I found that, you know, either I could be a meticulous Kubrick, Terrence Malick style filmmaker, you know, or you could be a Lloyd Kaufman. And I definitely fell into the Lloyd Kaufman category, which is not to compare myself to that great man, but that's definitely the camp that I seem to operate in now. You are the writer and producer. Do you do any of the um, filming as well or no? Do you have camera people for that? I try to use them as much as possible. <laughs> uh, I try to, you know, I, I've, if you go on my IMDb page, I've, I've literally done everything that you could possibly do from editing to uh, cinematography to acting. And you find out what you're better at than others. So it, my ideal situation is that I kind of produce, I put together the team and I write. But uh, when it comes to directing, I'm one of those people that likes to put in all the work ahead of time, go through production, put everything together. And then when it comes down to actual filming, kind of hang back on set and let's watch someone else put it all together. Now that I get older and I, I kind of want to play to my strengths, I'm putting a little bit of distance between myself and directing. And I, I know there's a big film community here. I have lots of friends that I can just kind of push that off on that I trust with it. Yeah, a couple of things I really appreciated in watching the short uh, Don't Pull Out and also the other one, which the name escapes me, but I think ten- was it Tentacles? Yeah, that that was for we, we did that as part of uh, the ABC's of Death anthology. I don't know if you remember that or if you've seen that. Uh, it came out a no. couple of, came out a couple of years ago, and the basic premise is, is that it's twenty-six short films and each one cor- each one has a death that corresponds to the letter of the alphabet. So when they put the anthology together they had 25 directors and the 26th director was open for competition and you had to make a short film with the letter T. And of course, in my mind immediately went to, well, T is for tentacles. So we, we put that together thinking that it was going to be absolutely huge <laughs> and it wasn't, but I guess if you're into hentai or, or, or tentacle stuff, it's right up your alley. Well, it wasn't particularly like the hentai that I thought was great about it was it was more the practical special effects. I mean, because anyone who is fairly decent at After Effects these days can pull off really bad CG. Sure. Yeah, I really appreciated the the practical special effects with the, the tentacle creature. And it just it had some... I don't know. It had a. It had something to it, and uh, I don't know if that says anything about my taste in film, but uh, <laughs> and don't pull out was just like that's why I asked about if you did any of the camera work because the shots were very very close to what we would have seen in a even in like in a modern grindhouse film like a Rodriguez or a Tarantino. The shots were very 
very well placed and very well cut. So maybe part of that's in the editing and the costumes are freaking amazing. Like just the, <laughs> the guy with the, the ascot, that's you know, it's just like, wow. Yeah. That's my buddy, Mike, you know, the, uh, who, who actually edited it as well. Um, those costumes that was just people's clothes like, really we didn't go to a, we didn't go to we didn't rent that shit people just had it um yeah that you know that's one of the benefits of doing a faux uh, trailer which is kind of what that was um mm-hmm. is that you it's just money shots so you you're kind of piecing together a narrative you you need to know kind of what the movie's about and where it's going and, and what the arc is but really you're just capturing the best moments for the sake of the audience to put this thing together. So gotcha. yeah, that's if, it, if it's nothing but money shots and you're like, wow, every shot's great. Well, that, you know, that's what a trailer is. You know, if, yeah. if we had to make a, a 75 minute version of that or something, there'd be a lot of downtime in between, I'm sure, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. But it was, um, it definitely got the point across. And like I said, both of them, I, I loved for various reasons, but again, I was someone who still today, we have a, uh, there's a store here in Bridgeport, Connecticut called Vinegar Syndrome. And all they do is specialize in exploitation movies. Okay. So every black exploitation film that I could ever dream of is available through them, either on DVD or Blu-ray, even to the point where I found my first, like the first porn I ever saw when I was 16. Oddly enough, they actually had on Blu-ray, and I was like, "No fucking way!" (laughs) So um, it uh, it was the Erotic Adventures of Candy, and then followed up with um, Candy Goes to Hollywood. Oddly enough, oh my god, the the Gong Show host. Oh, why can't I think of his name? The guy. Oh, he was. um, Was Uh, that the CIA assassin? Yeah, he was actually in that film as well as Carol Connor. Uh, the woman who was the host for the gong show. Okay. So it was kind of interesting to go, wow, all right. I remember watching the gong show as a kid and I didn't see tits in it, but this <laughs> this actually works. So needless to say, I, I, I saw the uh, Blu-ray set and I'm like, all right, I have to own this. And I sat and watched it, not in the sense of like, ooh, I'm watching porn, but almost in this like retro memory thing where I'm just going... Yeah, it wasn't even a turn on. It was just like, I remember that scene or, all right, that's interesting. It was weird, like dissecting a porn from the 70s, but it was uh, it was fun. I was able to do that with one that I remember from my adolescence. It was called Party Doll Go-Go, and it was on one of the tube sites, and mm-hmm. it was so it, 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 it like one of those things that like answers a million one questions that you have when you realize that this was like kind of like your cornerstone, like this is your starting uh-huh. off point because it is so abstract and it's it's so crazily edited and the the background music sounds like it's something that Fred Schneider did and because <laughs> it's like party doll go go and it's um answered a lot of questions. It was kind of like oh. Well, yes, I could see where you saw this at 14 and it, it kind of shaped everything moving forward. Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of, it's neat to revisit that stuff. About a month ago or so, I actually ended up watching Caligula again. <laughs> hey, if you, I, I have a write up that I did about that movie with my buddy Mike, who played the director with the ascot and don't pull out. I don't, I think it's on Daily Grindhouse. <laughs> it might be on a different website, but we, 
we revisited that a couple years ago as well and, and, and wrote some words on it. So Google that sometime. But yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So what was your experience going back to Caligula? So I guess the Erotic Adventures of Candy was just something randomly that I saw. Um, I was I can't even remember when it was, but I just remember getting stoned and watching it. And and I think I was like 16 at the time. So it was definitely like, oh, wow. All right. This is cool. I mean, other than that, at a younger age. So before San Francisco actually had cable, we had this really crappy, like they called it a microwave service where they like shot beams and you had to have an antenna to unscramble you know, things that were on these shows, but at late night they had this porn thing. And I remember being, and you know, this is me at 12 watching it and waiting for the picture just to clear up enough to see boobs. <laughs> and, and, you know, here's this like 12 year old me sitting there just waiting anxiously to, you know, see something on the screen. So then Candy, the so Rock Adventures of Candy, and then Caligula, which blew my mind because I'm going, wait, I know those actors from other places, but sure. yet, and it wasn't until way later that I actually found out that Bob Guccione actually, right, he directed you know, it, didn't he? he? Yeah, and cut where the acting part ended, and then added in the porn himself. In fact, um, Helen Mirren apparently was yes. so pissed off. Because they did a double of her, and she she basically didn't appreciate that. Those aren't her tits in it, doesn't she? She does topless in that, doesn't she? I or maybe for, it's, you're saying it's a body double. Yeah, it was a body double, from what I understand. She did not know that they were going to do a that sort of scene with her. Because I mean, if you think about it, like even well, Malcolm McDowell's kind, Malcolm McDowell's kind of a, a weird dude. Yeah, but, I'm sure he he was on board from from Jump Street. Yeah, but you know we have uh, was it Sir, uh, Sir John Gielgud was in it, uh, Helen Mirren, uh, Peter O'Toole. Yeah. So <laughs> you had all these like really well named actors for the time period, and uh, you know so you go, why are they doing porn? But uh, well, yeah, and Peter O'Toole is like, a, isn't he like a syphilis? He's got like sores on him, and he's in the pool yep. with the little kid, the minnows. Yeah, yeah. We had a we had a video store by our house growing up where the, the it was a mom and pop place. But the people that owned it had won an Academy Award for um, like a short film or something. I, they weren't famous, 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 but they had mm-hmm. done. They had, you know, they were artists, and they had the cool video store that had like Caligula and had, oh, okay. had all of that stuff. Um, and yeah, definitely, I I spent a lot of time there in high school because another place had the porn section. Would encourage it. Well, they encourage it for the porn, but like if you you could, I'm sure I rented Caligula in high school. And they were probably just more impressed that I knew to grab it off the shelf than anything. You know? Yeah, that was a video store. The experience of the video store I went to, um, I would just go there. And even though they did not care, I would still do the thing where I'd like stack a bunch of other movies around it, put it on the <laughs> counter and hope they wouldn't like realize that, you know, beneath Rocky and something else, it was, you know, the lion thing or whatever entertaining porn film i was trying to watch at the time yeah it the the good old days when we had video stores and right you could rent stuff so you um i was looking through your bio and it says that you are an author that you actually have books uh out there can we talk a little bit about those sure so uh, i have a um collection of short film scripts that i wrote 
uh, four short films by Pat O'Sullivan. Basically, the idea behind that was I had written some scripts that uh, I really liked and that I thought were quality work, but were kind of unproducible. They would require too much money or just wasn't anything that I would ever get around to, to doing. And someone that writes in the screenplay format a lot, it, I consider it to be a legitimate art form. You know, uh, I don't know about your high school experience, but I know for us, we used to have to read stage plays all the time. And if that was part of English class was reading Shakespeare stage plays, once again, not to compare myself to Shakespeare, but <laughs> if there was value in reading an unproduced stage play script, could there be value in reading a screenplay just as a piece of literary work? Uh, and I thought, obviously, as someone who writes screenplays, that there was. So I, I compiled four of them. Um, one's actually pretty kink-heavy, Midnight Men. Threw it together and put it up on Amazon and, you know, sold about seven copies. So rush out and get yours today. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing I have up there is uh, Apocalypse Hoboken, which was an anthology series I did with Chicago authors. And the idea was to kind of do like a, a, liter a literary split seven inch series where we would take two different authors for every issue and each one would contribute a short story and kind of throw them out there. And I did about four volumes of that and uh, all that stuff is up there. So. All right. Definitely. Yeah. Well, when this gets published, I'll put a bunch of, uh, we'll get a bunch of links in the show notes. So if people want to check out your work, they can sure. definitely be. Yeah, and I usually do, uh, just to kind of throw it out there too, I usually do Nanu Rimu every year, National Novel Writing Month. I don't know oh, if okay. you're familiar with that. Yes. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's a, I have I have a couple manuscripts that I, I finished during that, during November. And I mean, that I think is such a great platform for people. You know, I, I've always been one of those people where I'll produce stuff on my own. But going back to like Tia's for Tentacle, like that was for the ABCs of Death thing. You know, it, it, it kind of galvanized me and my friends like, okay, we have a we have a goal, we have a deadline, let's get together, let's do this, right? And mm -hmm. same thing with uh, National Novel Writing Month. You know, it's a good reason to get off your ass and get off your ass and sit down and get to work and kind of crank something out. So I definitely encourage people, you know, if if you have the itch to write something. Do it, you know, get involved with that because there's write-ins, there's things in the community that you can go to. And uh, it's something I look forward to every year. I've participated probably like the past five years. I plan on doing it again this year. No, that's awesome. Especially, so I've I've done some freelance work myself and, or, well, just I've done freelance work and written for some of my own publications. But it's, I guess writing to me is kind of, I'll use the bicycle. It's like something you never forget to do. But if you're out of practice, it just it just takes so much time to finally fall back into it. So things like that are nice because even if you're not particularly writing for any particular reason, at least it's good practice and you know getting your ideas and stuff out there anyway. So one of the one of the biggest things that really helped me with with all of this stuff. If you're talking about the films, if yeah. you're talking about, uh, we'll get to the gaming eventually, I'm sure. Uh, but you know, the writing as well. I I worked in public relations for mm -hmm. about a year and a half when I was in my early 20s, and it's a long. I I was working at a record label. One thing led to another. Blah 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 blah, and started writing press. Got a job writing press releases for tech companies in the early 2000s, um, and it was very dry stuff but what i did is i went to work every day and i would sit down 
and I would have to write a press release about one of my clients installing <laughs> Wi-Fi access points uh-huh. in an airport in Connecticut, right? And I'd have to sit there and write it, and then I'd have to send it to the client for approval, and they would come back, and they'd say, no, you got to change this. And I'd say, okay, and I'd make the changes and send it back, and they'd say, no, change it back. And you'd, you'd do three or four drafts, and then they'd say, okay, cool, we're good to go. And then, boom, it would hit the wire, and it would go out. And as uncreative work as that was, there was nothing sexy about it. It was just fucking writing, but it was a, it was like a job and I treated it seriously. And it made me realize that there is no magic writing hour where all this crazy shit happens. You literally sit behind a desk and you go to work and then it's done and you don't get it right the first time. You're going to have to do multiple drafts. It's just the nature of the business and don't let that discourage you. It doesn't mean you're bad. You know, it's just part of the process. And it really made being creative, a nuts and bolts job for me. And that's something that's helped me when it comes to the filmmaking, Mm -hmm. when it comes to everything else, right? You just, it's work. You just sit down and you do the work and, you know, don't blow it out of proportion in your head and make it this big mythic thing, you know, (laughs) like you sit down and write, no, no, I got to have a few beers first or no, 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 I got to, I got to get in the right mindset or, oh no, I got to be inspired. It's like, no, you just sit behind the desk and you do the work. And yeah. uh, let's uh, yeah. let's let's dive into a couple of uh, fun right. topics, then we'll kind of get to our our main here. So, you mentioned uh, when we're sure. uh, conversing and getting an idea. So, comics. So, uh, Vertigo. As soon as I see that, I was like, "All right," I immediately like, "All right, this guy's cool." <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I honestly, I read Sandman pretty religiously up until I think like at like sixty four when they finally killed off Morpheus. And I hope that wasn't a spoiler for anyone who didn't read okay. Sandman, but uh what sort of comics were you into? What uh Right. Well, go, I mean, going back mm-hmm. to like childhood like X-Men, you know, um uh just the, the general Marvel, DC whatever. Um I did a I did a animated thing that you can find on um you can find on YouTube and it was kind of my mm-hmm. ode to Chris Claremont era X-Men where it was the, it's this seven minute animated short, but it's, it, it's supposed to be a comic. It's the adventures of star girl alpha, but it's like issue number two thirty seven, <laughs> part five of seven in the storyline. Cause those were like, I, I wouldn't go to the comic book store religiously as a kid. I would go there once uh-huh. a month when I did something good and I was being rewarded. So I never had the whole, you know, seven issue miniseries of whatever story they were telling. I always just had some random issue of X-Men and that just had to be good enough. So that's kind of yeah. how, I mean, it, it, comics have been around for a while, but definitely when I was in high school, um, Preacher was on my radar because of Kevin Smith. He had written the introduction for the second trade paperback and that caught my eye. I picked up the first two trades and immediately fell in love with Garth Ennis. And um, being in high school at that time, Preacher is very adolescent boy fantasy and especially Garth Ennis and all that stuff. And that was what hooked me right off the bat. That's what got me back in. So I started following him and all the stuff he was writing. And then through him, I got into Garth Ennis, uh, I'm sorry, Grant Morrison. And definitely the Invisibles blew my fucking mind. Uh, mm-hmm. As much as I thought I loved Preacher, and I, I was convinced that I loved Preacher as much as anyone could love anything, then I read the Invisibles, and that was just next level shit. So, um, I've always followed the writers, you know, not so much the characters. If, if Grant Morrison was doing JLA, well then I picked up JLA 
And if he was going to do the Flash, then I have his run on the Flash. And then oh yeah, there was other stuff too. Peter David, um, yeah. I mean, I, I liked his run on Supergirl. Uh, Joe Kelly, who did the Deadpool stuff, which is like where if yeah. you like the Deadpool movies, that's all Joe Kelly shit from from the late nineties. Uh, his it was just Deadpool. It was the first twenty five issues I think he did. But yeah, anything Vertigo was doing, I would pick up because that was kind of edgy and fit my high school mentality. Didn't read that much Sandman, though. That was a little bit before my time. Um, Neil Gaiman, I, I like Neil Gaiman's novels. I've read more of his novels than I have his comic books. Um, same thing with Alan Moore. I was never like a huge Swamp Thing guy. You know, I liked Watchmen. Didn't Alan Moore do Swamp Thing? Uh, he did for, I, I believe, actually, at one point there was a series with... Uh him doing uh swamp thing yes okay so that hellblazer um as much as i love garth ennis i never never really went back and checked out his, his hellblazer stuff but yeah i mean i like the superhero stuff too it wasn't just purely vertigo i i could get behind a lot of the superhero stuff back then yeah so in the 90s that was kind of where my mind went when i thought of comics because they were just really, right. yeah like you said they were edgy they weren't right. your four color do-gooder like Hellblazer was that you know John Constantine is probably one of my favorite DC Universe characters. Okay, um, you know Sandman. Then they did Sandman Mystery Theater, which was the, right, which was the old school Sandman. It was yeah, like the, some good stuff. And there was some also, you know, and actually speaking of comics, and there was also a lot of stuff that I used to love to read. Which, although Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers weren't particularly kink, but it was old hippie stoner comics, which I loved. <laughs> uh, there was one called Cherry Pop-Tart that uh, was very risque for the time. That was a girl with like, was that, is that what I'm thinking? C-H-E-R-R-I? I can't remember the exact spelling, but what they did, it was basically a porn version, a porn comic version of the Archies. Yes, that's exactly yeah. what I'm thinking of. Okay. <laughs> Perfect description. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a lot of those kind of comics that sat in that special shelf in uh, our comic book store that definitely I would go and pick up a copy every now and then. But what well, what I became a religious reader of when I was 15, and I, I still am to this day, heavy metal. Oh, um, yes. yeah. I wanted, I wanted to say it before you because I knew eventually one of us would get there. <laughs> Um, I, I, that was it for me. That was like it, that weird kind of edgy science fiction, not like back to the future science fiction, yeah. but like just, just fucking like telling the craziest story possible in seven pages. And I'll, I'll throw this out there right now. If anyone out there can draw and wants to collaborate on a heavy metal pitch, I would love to do that. That's like bucket list before I die is, is to get something in there. I am absolutely in love with that magazine. That that's so much of of kind of where my headspace is when it comes to sci-fi and ultimately I think, you know, the the gore stuff tales of gore kind of owes a little bit to well not owes a little bit but goes hand in hand with Oh, a absolutely. Lot of heavy metal. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing with heavy metal too is if I had the money to do so. So Simon, I think it's Simon Bisley who does the art who did a lot of the artwork uh, cover artwork for heavy metal. Okay. Um, it does amazing work, and actually, he did a lot of artwork for um, the character Lobo in DC Comics. So he's actually sure. designed some uh, some of the covers for those comics. And honestly, 
his stuff is just amazing. So, you know, someday when I win a lottery or knock over a 7-Eleven or do something <laughs> like that, uh, Simon Bisley is definitely on my list to do a, a cover for either a game I write or just like, I don't know, just like fanboy thing. Go, hey, dude, can you just design me a cover? I'm just going to hang it in my living room. But have you have you read Profit at all? No, I know of it, but I have not. Yeah, this uh, moving into like re- I don't read a whole lot of comics now, uh-huh. um, but that was definitely one of the ones that got on my radar, and uh, I was reading that for a while, and then uh, it was pretty good. It goes back to that like really hardcore science fiction stuff, and um, I was checking out uh, Gerard Way, the dude from My Chemical Romance. Mm-hmm. He he did a Doom Patrol reboot that was pretty good, and um, I've been going back and getting like uh, Grant Morrison's Zenith series. That was something he had done for 2000 AD. That was pretty solid. What else? Animal Man. That's a good one to bust out every once in a while. Yeah, I have a subscription to um, the DC Universe app, which is kind of cool. So I've been watching a lot of the new TV series versions. So like Titans, Doom Patrol. So I had that. And then... um, I think we canceled it. Oh. <laughs> I watched the Titan series and I got two thirds of the way through Doom Patrol and I think I fell behind. You know what it was? It was when they canceled Swamp Thing before the oh, first episode. Uh-huh. And I was just like, well, because I thought they were going to build towards this shared universe thing. And I really, because they worked Doom Patrol into the Titan. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And then I was like, okay. And I, I like Doom Patrol was like, I'd watch one episode and I'd be like, did I like that? Like, eh. And then I'd watch the next episode and be like, okay, this is fucking cool. And it just, it kept going up and down and up and down. And some of the stuff worked. And then some of the stuff was like, eh, this is so boring. And, uh, but then they renewed it for a second season. It's like th- they canceled the Swamp Thing, like, didn't even give it a chance. But then they picked up Doom Patrol for a second season. And then I see the second season of Titans just hit. So I might have to renew that. Have you have you been checking that stuff? The second Titan season. I have not started yet. Um, I'm I'm very fanboying about it just for the fact that. So you watched the the first season of Titans, right? Yes. yes. Where they gave this well, kind of the they alluded to Superboy and uh, and that last scene. Basically, it's Cadmus Labs, and you see this dog in a in a cage, and then someone like get up wearing. Um, uh, I think it's just like a robe or something and some damage gets done, but you don't actually get to see it, but putting two and two together, it's right. Superboy. And okay. uh, they mentioned that in one of the uh, interview, like interviews with someone that season two will have Superboy in it. Not that I'm a big Superman fan, but I just love the fact that there'll be an interesting dynamic. Yeah. With, especially with that Robin character. Oh, I know the angry, hateful Robin, which was like, okay, <laughs> I'll, or black exploitation starfire or firestar or whatever the hell her name is Star, yeah where it was just like wait a minute yeah she's supposed to be orange with like red hair and kind of goofy not looking like and talk backwards or whatever yeah. yeah so anyway but let's let's actually move on to the the major topic okay. here which is gaming and then we'll we'll kind of lead there so what is your what is your nerd cred what flavor of gamer are you <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I do a weekly dungeon crawl classics, uh, group that we play on discord. We've been doing that for about, um, two years now. Uh, same group of guys I do Gary kind with every year. Um, 
been playing D and D for probably off and on for like ten years. Mm-hmm. Started that I was a bouncer at a bar, uh, like a five a.m. bar, and we'd all have to be there at ten o'clock, even though no one would ever show up until like two or three in the morning. And we would just start playing D and D. And I realized that I had an affinity for it because of I, I have a little bit of a theater background. Number one, and then number two, playing video game RPGs most of my childhood. It trans all that kind of translated into having to do um, doing the RPG stuff, doing the live action pen and paper. Yeah, it just it's always been there. It's always been around. Uh, was it a Magic the Gathering when it came out? PC gaming, console gaming don't nearly do you know in person RPGing as much as I would like to, but uh, that's kind of where I'm at with it. And then uh, the Tales of Gore thing popped up on my radar. And it was just like a light bulb went off because we had been talking about uh, me and the guys that I do Dungeon Crawl Classics with. Uh-huh. We're talking about we had done enough Gary Cons to where we realized that, like, look, man, they let anybody do this shit. You know? <laughs> just, just, we should probably submit events and just get out here and do it. I had planned on doing uh, possibly a D&D 5e game for uh, younger players yeah which <laughs> sounds very uh off-putting in comparison to what i actually yeah. ended up pitching to them but i i play i have uh two kids and i i play D a lot with them where i i do homebrew campaigns and write stuff for them and uh i do stuff with that and then friends where i come over and i i'll do dungeon master stuff here was doing that and thought like okay well i'll pitch an event to gary Khan. And then I just happened to come across Tales of Gore. And I can't even, t- I don't even remember how I found it online. But when I saw that such a thing existed, it was just such a, a perfect conflux of interests of mine. Mm-hmm. I just had to do it. And I, I reached out to the guys at uh, the manufacturer, Postmortem. Yeah, Postmortem. And was like, hey, would you guys mind if I did this? And I thought that's something that you would have to do. And apparently you don't. But they were very cool. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, go ahead. Pitch it. See what happens. And I did. And Gary Kahn's accepted it. So here we are. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's – well, Gary Kahn uh, – I mean, you've been to Gary Kahn before. So it's definitely a lot of old guards. So I kind of – I'm not shocked that it wasn't – you know, that it was accepted. Uh, right. Just, just for the fact that it's um, just a, a lot of – old school old grognards who are just there you know playing games and doing stuff like some some of the newer conventions would be like oh no we can't have that sort of content at our con but i think before i was telling uh when we were first time going back and forth in email i I briefly alluded to running a game at gary con about three years ago which was a black exploitation game and uh it, it was probably on the level of, oh, my God, they're going to throw us out. Just everyone nah. is getting into this, like, completely. It's Wisconsin, racist... you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everyone fell into this, like, racist stereotype, and we're being loud about it. And, um, you know, a lot of the conventions I go to are very, how can I put it, very PC, I guess. So yeah. I was just there, sitting there feeling a little uncomfortable with it. So, but no, it, it just went fine and everyone had a great time and people at other tables were going, wow, you guys sound like it was having fun. I'm like, okay, you don't hate me. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so we, I, I definitely want to talk about the, the gore game that you're going to do at GaryCon a little bit uh, without any spoilers, because obviously if people are going to play in it and go, hey, I already know what's going on. So. Right. What is uh so? What is your before we kind of talk about the mixing of BDSM 
or kink and gaming. So what is your uh, role within the BDSM community? Like, do you, uh, are you an advocate? Do you? Definitely. Oh, definitely friendly. Definitely an advocate. Uh, I'm, I'm married now. So, um, you know, there's a, f- a fair bit of uh, tease and denial and financial yeah. domination in my daily life. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I think when it, I think when you talk about kink, it's always that's one of those words that's usually an adjective that someone on the outside uses to describe you, right? Yeah. Like it's so relative. You know, I've been with uh, how, to just kind of give you the idea how I came across the gore thing. I was on FetLife about ten years ago, and I was going through uh, people's profiles <laughs> as one does, and um, I, I was looking at this, this young woman's profile, and it was like. She was listing the, her interests, and it was like you know needle play, bloodletting, and you know all this stuff, and suspension, and pony playing. I just I, I, I'm, I'm I'm pulling things out of the air, but like just imagine a laundry list of like hardcore shit, yeah. right? And then at the end, there's a little asterisk, and it says, "Please do not contact me if you're Gorean. People are <laughs> fucking scumbags." And I was like, "Hello," and I'm like, I had no idea what that what that meant or what that was, and I was like, "What?" I need to look this up on the internet. And I did. And it was like, this is fucking fascinating. You know, um, the fact that this, how it, it all spawns from a series of sci-fi books and well, on the surface sci-fi books. And then it, it started kind of this whole cultural movement. That was something that immediately I said, okay, you need to, you need to go on Amazon and buy these used and, and start reading it and kind of investigate this even further. So I, I definitely don't identify as Gorian, um, but it's something that I, I I love that it exists. I love that it exists. I, I think that it says so much about us that that people can can take something and that someone else created and almost you know innocuously make it their own and and turn it into this this cultural I don't want to say cultural movement like it's the Black Panthers or something but like <laughs> you know a lifestyle that that can be a fully breathing living community that kind of sprung forth from something so you know I don't know how you would describe those books just yeah well uh, and, and, an unlikely an un, it sprung forth from an unlikely well you yeah. know so as far as how my role in the in the kink community, I mean, definitely, I'm I'm been told that I'm kinkier than some, <laughs> but uh, I've been around enough to know that I am not always the kinkiest person in the room. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> been and, in enough of those situations. <laughs> a lot of um, and a lot of the bad rap uh, with the uh, the Goreans is simply what I actually I like to blame Second Life for it. Because, as I think I mentioned before the call, that uh, I actually belong to a Gorian group. I ha- a lot of my closest friends are um, either Gorian masters or Kajira. And uh, it's, honestly, it's it's just basically a high-protocol BDSM lifestyle. You know, it, a lot of people demonize it uh, for misogyny and things like that. And sure, uh, there is a level of that natural order and, and such uh, in the lifestyle, but you know, it going back to it, a lot of people again, opinion. It, it's it seemed like Second Life, where you had a bunch of people who were self proclaimed and just going into other communities on Second Life and being complete assholes. 
And that just kind of, um, it's interesting. I mean, it's almost taken out of that realm of, of BDSM and, you know, it wouldn't be any different than if someone was a follower of the teachings of Sun Tzu or, you know, some Dianetics. I think I'm pronounced that right. L. Ron Hubbard's, <laughs> you know, I'm sure <laughs> they don't walk around with uh, slaves because that would make it really interesting. But um... <laughs> I've read that, too. You know, <laughs> it's just kind of how I, you know, I, I my wife was watching that show that the, the chick from King of Queens had where uh, mm-hmm. Leanne Remini or whatever her name is. And I, I was I watched like two episodes and I'm like, OK, I'm just going to order Dianetics and read it. Because at this point, like, I have to know, like, what what is this actually all about? You know, I think there's there's a difference. It, you see this a lot in the kid community. There's a difference about being respectful of someone else's lifestyle and just trying to get laid. And I think there's a lot of people that come in from the outside that, you know, yeah. we all start off somewhere, right? Everyone's a newbie at some point. But if you approach it with respect and, and, and genuine, like, you know, inquisitiveness, and okay, I'm going to observe this and I'm going to, you know, just kind of see what this is about i feel like that's okay but if you're in it because like yeah people here like to fuck or like you're just trying to like find loose women or or whatever i think that's when you're a scumbag and you just got to kick those people to the curb and they're it doesn't matter what the sub subculture is or whatever they're gonna you're gonna attract those people yeah and you mentioned fet life earlier and honestly fet life is a maze to me it's you try to go on there and do anything or look at anything or find anything and it it almost requires several steps to like do something it's not very well thought out it whoever did the ux on it should be i don't know locked in a box somewhere because it's just like the worst (laughs) website ever however um if you're looking for like events going on to me that's pretty much the munches yeah I was, you know what it was, this was like 10 years ago, and I um, and I, I think they've had some problems since then that have kind of changed it from when, when I was on there. And uh, I was in a relationship with someone that was way more into the community than I was. And she kind of said, hey, you should get on here, and this is, it's like Facebook, but it's, yeah. you know, kinking. You know, that way you can kind of learn and you can see what people are into and blah, blah, blah. So, um that was it for me. It was more of a, just like a social network thing because I knew people that were on yeah. there in, in real life. And, um, you know, like you said, there was the, there was the munches and there was events. There's a group in Chicago called the next generation Chicago. That was for people that were, I think it was like 30 or under 29 or under something like that, which at yeah. the time was appropriate for me. Not so much, not so much anymore, but, uh, yeah, I think in that in that sense, it served its purpose. I never really used it as like a meat market, you know, um, but definitely some people did. And definitely you could see the people that this was the people that felt like they couldn't go on Facebook, that they couldn't use Plenty of Fish, they couldn't use Match.com or they couldn't use OkCupid, that their their interests were too diverse and in the forefront of their personality to where they really needed a website like this to say, to say okay, first and foremost, this is who I am and this is what I'm into. and if we don't click on this level, then we shouldn't really take this a step further because it's kind of backwards from how you look at other uh, like dating sites or, 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 you know, stuff like that, where, you know, if you go on like, okay, Cupid or something, you're going to start talking to someone about what kind of movies they like or what kind of books they read. And then maybe at some point when you're in person over drinks, you'll talk about <laughs> how you like the fuck. FetLife is backwards where you start talking about how you like the fuck first. And then if you find out they also like the Rolling Stones, hey, bonus. 
you know? So that's, and I get that's not for everybody, you know, and that kind of puts sex first and some people, they don't, you know, they want to build intimacy before. They yeah. Get into that but stuff. it also yeah. causes a, um, it also causes a bad reaction too, because then you have the people who are just, you know, horny old men or horny married men who feel like he's stepping out, <laughs> they get on there and start, right. you know, doing things and then it just gets really creepy. But, you know, beyond FetLife, we have things like Kick, which actually is going to stop existing, I think, on October 19th, which uh, I'm kind of going, yay, because I've I've went on there before just to kind of check it out. And I'm going, oh, my God, this this place is kind of creepy. So it's I thought kick was just like a messenger app. You can start groups on it. So it was pretty much a you can. Well, you can use it as a messenger, but there are actually groups on kick, too, that had a really neat feature that I've never seen anywhere else. And I'd love to know the code to steal it. But um, <laughs> what it is, is so when you join a group on kick, it actually puts you into this limbo where all you do is sit there until an admin comes in. And then depending on the sadistic level of the admin, it could be anything from, hey, just post a picture and whatever to take a picture of yourself with your finger on your nose, flipping off with the other hand. And they would do all this weird stuff to verify that you were, in fact, a human or a person. And then they would bring you into their fold. And if you didn't and a lot of them, if you didn't answer that question within like the first five minutes of being on there, they just like boot you. I was going to say, so what would the groups be about? Would it be like Planet of the Apes fans or would it be like, you know, well, it was, is, it all, is it all kink related or could it just be about anything? It could be about anything. There was a few non-kink, but for the most part, it was heavily. Uh, it, so there's a lot of like DDLG groups on there, BDSM groups, swingers groups. I mean, just like you, gotcha. you name okay. it, they were all over the place. And I understand the security on that because... I admin a Agorian uh, group on another social media app that I would just, I would give money to be able to just filter like that. So, <laughs> you know, it's, um, we, we recently just because kick is ending, we have a lot of people coming over to the other um, uh, social platform, which is called MeWe. And I don't know if you're familiar with MeWe. No. Um, but anyway, so we're getting like all these people like applying to join the group. And then when they get on there, we get, you know, women talking about their stuffies. And it's like, no, wait a minute. This is a Gorian group. I think we enslave and throw people to the sleen if uh, <laughs> they come in with stuffies. <laughs> so it's um, it's been difficult. But it's like this invasion at this point because Kick is closing. So we have all these kinksters and whatever coming on over and going, oh, this group looks interesting, and then get on there with, you know, hey, my daddy says this, and it's like, no, 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 there are no daddies on gore. <laughs> <laughs> None whatsoever. <laughs> so, right. but, okay, go ahead. Yeah, I know, that's got to, it's tough, because you want to, you want to be inclusive, and you want to, you know, cast a wide net, I guess, but at the same time, there's got to be a vetting process. Like, it you know, especially I, I'd say for something like like the the gore stuff, like that's not it's not a transition from Fifty Shades. Yeah, no, it is not. You're right. It's it's kind of you have to do your homework before you even want to enter into that conversation. 
And, yeah. and the thing is, is that actually our group is meant to be a teaching group. So people come in okay. and we give them resources and we cover things and we teach them about high protocol and everything. But just ultimately, a lot of people just go on there expecting to go, oh, there's lots of slaves here. So I'm just going to be a jerk and hit on them. And because they're slaves, they have to do what I say. But then that's when the, um, you know, the free come in and basically kick their ass out of the group very quickly. So it's, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's being part of the admin of this group, uh, myself, um, another Gorian master and two Kajira who, who run it, uh, we're constantly like behind the scenes, just kind of going, ah, can we just boot this guy now? So, um, you know, but then again, different philosophies, different beliefs, like one will go, no, I let's let it ride. And I'm just like, ah, kick him out now. So, um, well, it, I think at some point there, it gets dangerous because you get people that probably aren't ready to be slaves completely hooking up with people that have no idea the responsibility of being a master Yeah, and all they're going to do is crash and burn. And then who are they going to turn around and blame? You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to blame you guys for housing the conversation or, or it's going to give, it gives the community a bad name. And it's like, no, you guys are just idiots. You know, yes. <laughs> you entered into this, you entered into this, this agreement and you had no idea what anyone, and no one had any idea what they were doing. And it just spun out of control. And now somebody's hurt or something, you know, whatever. Yeah. And that's, and that's, and that's again, why like good filtering just needs to happen. And there are yeah. games. So I, I know you said you listened to episode one of, um, of the, sh- and we had a uh, mistress Clarissa and uh, Brandon Osario on who actually did a role-playing game that teaches you how to set up limits and actually prepare yourself for scenes which I'm still in awe at this. And uh, I'm actually was a brilliant idea. It is. And actually I was invited to do a um, new England leather Alliance next year to do a alternative play um, seminar. So I'm actually going to use that game uh, amongst others. Cause there's some other good stuff out there. Uh, Emily care boss has done a couple uh, related to consent and, and things like that. But, ultimately are you involved with the with the leather community um uh, i very small pockets so right you know we have iml here every year chicago i am i don't know if you're from international male leather no i'm not familiar IML. with that oh my gosh yeah anyway i'm sorry i didn't mean to oh no no, no like i'm familiar with things like <laughs> sin in the city and things like that out in vegas um but um, there's a lot that I'm just kind of, but this will actually be my first time presenting at a, an actual kink, um, event. So I'm, I'm preparing to just talk about some of the games that, you know, so tales from gore, uh, under my skin, which is about polyamory and then definitely BDSM, the fetish game, uh, because that's a great example of how gaming and, and lifestyle mix because here you have a game that actually teaches you and there's other things too. So, and not to go on too long about it, but for example, um, Nexus mods who I'd love to have on the show, they do a lot of kink mods for Skyrim, uh, fallout, actually a lot of Bethesda stuff. I don't know if Bethesda knows they're like the, (laughs) the kink game center, but anyway, it's interesting because you can get these mods to create these atmospheres that perhaps someone who is interested in may not be able to publicly or even with others in their community 
talk about or do. So you're kind of able to act it out. And the same with Second Life. Second Life is an amazing place that if you want to go ahead and you know live out your BDSM, your kingster, your swinger, your whatever, whatever fantasy, you can. There's a place for it. And you're kind of safe within the confines of this virtual world. And of course, there's a lot of people out there who are predators, obviously. That's with any community. But right. Second Life does an amazing job at someone who might be interested in, uh, I don't know, swinging. And interestingly enough, too, there is a, um, you can create, have you ever been on Second Life before I go on my... Uh, no, 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 no. I'm fr- I mean, I know what it is, but I haven't, I had no idea what was going on there. <laughs> yeah, so you, like, there's BDSM rooms where you go in and there'll be um, nude avatars there with collars that if you click on their collar, you actually then take control of their avatar. And then there's rooms with like, um, say, you know, the um, St. Andrew's crosses and cages and all kinds of stuff yeah. where you can actually then take that avatar, the submissive and do whatever you want with them. And it's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, some of the rooms, yeah, there's, there's definitely rules to like, Hey, let's talk first before you do this. But then there's some where it's just like, you know, grab someone and go ahead and they're just happy letting you do that so i think and i not to one of one of the benefits of growing up in chicago and living here my whole life is that i've never i can see the appeal of that stuff but i think i just for me it's it was always i would just do it yeah you know what i mean it it wasn't i was and i I lived in a big city i wasn't a small town where all there's you know three other people and we meet you know second tuesday of every month at pizza hut we're the only three kingsters in town Uh you know it's chicago so like you know i never had that experience to where i i felt that i needed to test things out via gaming and I guess I didn't realize how lucky. And just hearing you talk about like the Second Life stuff, and the, the, that was what was interesting about the um, the game that you had mentioned, the BDSM, the game, is that like at that point you're just doing the scene. Like, how is this a game? <laughs> like, you, you you know, like yeah, there's a, there's a there's a rule thing, but you're supposed to do that anyway. Yeah. You know, I always I always found the people that were into that community kind of fetishized the, the the setting up of the rules more than they did the actual you know the negotiation of terms like okay we're going to do this and is this good or is this bad you know that almost kind of was like the whole foreplay and then when you actually do the scene that's just like kind of the second half of it you know but yeah the gaming can almost be therapeutic in a way because it offers it offers people just that little bit of distance that some people need before they can actually f- fully commit to it you know and I mean, that's if it's helping people get to where they want to be and get in touch with who they really are. It's a beautiful thing, man. Oh, absolutely. You know? And I think where we where BDSM, the fetish game, uh, really comes in is that sure, this is not something that someone who has already been indoctrinated into the lifestyle would need. But let's just say there's someone who's really interested, has no idea how anything works, decides to like go to a club, find someone who is and not knowing that this person is completely a vanilla with dangerous tools in his hands and then immediately goes (laughs) to start flogging, not knowing how. So I think the games like that are important for that, that group, that group that doesn't know that, you know, caning doesn't mean beating them, you know, uh, Korean style out in the street. It's, you know, it's actually requires right. some skill to use. So 
I think yeah. that's where a lot of those things come in handy is that it's a good teaching aid. Like, obviously, if you're already in the lifestyle, yeah, you don't need this book or this game to tell you how to make a scene. But if you're new and curious and have no idea what limits are and, and things like that, being taught that through a game, uh, I think is, you know, kind of amazing. I had a roommate in my early 20s that uh, got very good at caning because he realized that it would increase his like market value. He's <laughs> like, if I can get good at this dude, no one knows how to fucking cane. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be awesome. It'll be, there's a, one of the few people that knows how to do this and I could do it. Well, it's like that, that's the thing. You got to find a niche. And that was, that was his niche was to get really good at caning. <laughs> and it worked for him. You know, you find your, find your angle. Definitely. So before we wrap up, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about the game that you will be running at GaryCon. Like I said, yes. no spoilers, but definitely I'm, I'm curious. Okay. So it starts off in a uh, port car. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have the party members meet in jail. And one of the members of their, uh, one of your cellmates uh, is an, obviously an NPC and he beseeches the group to get them to a warehouse on the river. And uh, then, so there's the, the first part's going to be escaping from jail. Uh-huh. And then once, you know, that's going to be kind of just figuring out the mechanics of the game, blah, blah, blah. And then we get into the city proper, and that's when we get to go full gore. And we get to see all, all the things that you want to see. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the bullet points of like, yes, there's going to be slings, and there's going to be panther women and all that stuff. So, um yeah, it's kind of, and then it, once they get to the dock, then they'll be, that's definitely a crossroads. But the, part of the reason that I wanted to kind of do this is that, you know, I want people to come out and do the game, obviously, because I want to run the yeah. game. But I, I want to kind of develop a dialogue with the people prior to it and figure out who's going to be coming. And and having done a couple of Gary Cons, I've had like, you know, game masters reach out to me prior to coming and be like, what's your experience level? What kind of stuff are you into? Blah, blah, blah. So that they can kind of, you know, I mean, when you do these cons, you're using pre-made characters, yeah. right? We're not going to have everyone roll up characters when they get there. We only have three to four hours. Yeah. Um, so just to kind of get a feel of who's going to be there, uh, what the what the gender makeup is, you know, uh, what kind of experience the gamers want. And then, you know, I'm pretty fluid enough to where if we're going to do something just more in the D and D side of things, then cool. We'll just do that. You know, we're, we're playing in the sandbox. We're in the world of gore, but you know, this is going to be pretty much just from point A to point B. Now, if we find that there's, you know, some people that are more involved with the lifestyle that want a different experience, you know, we can do that as well. But I feel like part of one of, you have to strike a balance yeah. and I definitely want, don't want to create uh, I don't want some of the hardcore, and people to come out and be disappointed because it's like Jesus, this is just like a fucking D and D campaign, you know. <laughs> you know, because that's not what you you see gore. You know what yeah. it is. That's what you signed up for. I don't want to disappoint. You know, you want to play the audience. I don't want to disappoint those people. But at the same time, you know, I don't know if necessarily everyone that comes out is going to want to get involved in these intricate, you know, scenes and shit, you know, between you know a couple of players. So. All I could say is if you're going to go into Gary County, you want to sign up for the event, sign up for the event, and then we'll start a dialogue from there. Um, I'm going to be play testing it, just kind of just the raw mechanics of it in uh, November, December to make sure that I have the time right. Okay. Because you do have a time limit. So uh, I have, you know, the bullet points of the adventure already done. And I'm going to sit down with my uh, DCC group 
and kind of run it through with them and just make sure that like the the size of the story that I want to tell is conducive to the time limit that I have. Yeah. And then once that's done and registration opens and we have, I see who signs up, then I want to work with the players to make sure that, okay, what's everyone coming out for? You know, and we, we picked, um, Friday that March. So they haven't confirmed the date and time yet, but it's, it's probably going to be that Friday night from 7 PM to 11 PM. Okay. So it's, we're kind of putting it, you know, we're positioning it to be, you know, as weird as you want to get. Um, and I mean that lovingly, of course, but, uh, you know, if the audience, we'll just see what the audience demand is. So if you're planning on going to Gary Khan and you're interested in doing it, please sign up and, and, you know, I'll take your ideas and we'll go from there. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, if I end up going, I would definitely be interested. So one quick Gary Khan story and then we'll wrap is, um, so just to kind of show how freaky things can get at Gary Khan, this was Gary Khan, I want to say four three years ago, possibly. So are you familiar with the Dead Game Society? Okay, no. so Dead Game Society, they're actually kind of all over now, but initially kind of started in the Midwest, Chicago area. Uh, they're a group of people who just run, as it were, dead games, like games that haven't been revived or no one ever plays anymore. Um, you know, and this is going back to, and a lot of games have been cloned now, so it's kind of, that's a really gray area. But needless to say, they do a lot of great stuff, and some of the members of the group will actually dress in costume. Like, they did actually this, like, Nightmare on Sesame Street game. Um, they did a Love Boat-themed Call of Cthulhu where the GM looked like Captain Steubing. <laughs> so they had a, they had a very oh, large closed-door rocky horror picture show game and i don't even remember what system because i don't think anyone even paid attention to what was going on so uh one of my um one of my friends and another game designer uh alan hammock uh one of the designers on the top secret role-playing game so i went to go check out uh because he was in that event and i just wanted to go say hi and see what was going on so i opened the doors to the ballroom and there is the um there is the gm michael uh, who is all who is dressed like Frankenfurter, like just dead on, <laughs> helping one of the players slip on a bra. And it was one of those things where it's like you open the door and kind of go quickly, am I in the right place? And then realize you are and just go, okay, and wander in. So yeah, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on that that Rocky Horror game, needless to say. But it, again, it just kind of shows that if they can do cross-dressing rocky horror uh at gary con i think tales from gore is uh is definitely a safe bet right that and then coupled with your with your black exploitation yeah yeah there you go i don't want to give gary con a bad name for going hey come to this con and you will find you know but uh it seems that there it's a little bit of something for everybody so we'll put it that way hey i'm all about trying to figure out where the line's at and then hanging out on it so if if (laughs) If we can, if we can push it to, to you know, we can push the line as far as it'll go, and then just chill on there and play on that Friday night. I think it'll, a good time will be had by all. All right, awesome. So before we before I wrap, is there anything that you want to say or any uh, any callouts or anything you're doing? Um, follow me on Twitter, Frost at Frost twenty one twelve Jack. 
unfortunately what I wanted to get, which was Jack Frost 2112 was taken. <laughs> so I have that weird <laughs> Frankenstein of a Twitter handle, but whatever. Uh, Frost 2112 Jack. And yeah, Gary Khan, uh, register for the event if you're interested. And uh, I promise you we'll have a good time, whatever form that takes. If you have any feedback on this episode, question you'd like to ask us, or game suggestions, send them on over to info at alternative-play.com, or check us out on the web at alternative-play.com. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Alternative Play. Remember, dragons are not the only thing that play in dungeons. Keep your gaming safe, consensual, and fun. Thank you for listening to Alternative Play. We hope you enjoyed your time in our playroom. Alternative Play is an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international creative commons work. You may share it with whomever you like, so long as you don't sell or modify it. Like what we are doing? Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash alternative underscore play or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 